Well, good morning, church. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10, and you've kind of already heard from others that we are working through the Gospel of John. We're going to be finishing up chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be looking uh, at verses 30 through 42. And just as introduction, uh, just where we are in, in the Gospel is that there is about three months left in the life of Christ. Right now, he is in Jerusalem. He's there for the, the Feast of Dedication, which Jeff looked at last week. And this Feast of Dedication is a, a dedication and a celebration of, the, of really the cleansing of the temple after Antiochus, or Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated the temple. And so they're, they're there for this feast. And as I said, there's about three months left until the Passover. And we're going to see that, that Jesus, after our passage, at the end of our passage, actually leaves. He leaves the area of Jerusalem and he will come back in about three, year, I mean, three months to die on a cross for our sins. So if you would look with me at John chapter 10, verses 30 through 42. This is the word of God. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to a place where John was, had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said to him, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We come before you as a congregation to, to seek you and to ask you that you would bless the preaching of your word. God, that I would trust in your Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of this passage, that we might grow and be edified and that you might be glorified. Father, again, we thank you for your holy and inerrant and infallible word. And we know that by it, Lord, you will build up your church, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look at the, the title of my sermon, we see that it's called Christ's Response to the Rage. We know today in our culture there is a lot of rage. There's a lot of things going on in the culture that people are angry and upset. And sadly, I can see that in many ways Christians can get angry and upset and they can rage 
in such a way that, that does not bring glory to God. In fact, James says this, that, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I have to admit that there are times that, especially in my driving, where I get frustrated and I can, I can easily get upset and angry and I, I can get a little rage in me. But sadly, there are people that, that go through this road rage. In fact, I was uh, reading recently and I remember several months ago that there was a headline story of a, a 24-year-old man that was cut off by this woman as she was simply taking her, her son to kindergarten. She accidentally cut off this man and he gets so angry that he chases her down and shoots into the car and kills this, this six-year-old boy. Now, rage in this way, rage in sin is, is really something that, that we ought not take part in. And, and yet you see in this passage that these religious leaders are raging at Jesus. And we're going to look at this study in John chapter 10, and we're going to see that it says in verse 31 that, that these Jews picked up stones again to stone him. This isn't the first time. What's been going on is there's a, a heated anger and hostility towards Jesus Christ. And it's growing and groaning. These enemies, they, they're trying to stone Jesus to death, and their rage in this instant, is immediate, and it's heightened, and, and they want to take things into their, their own hands without thinking through what they are doing, that they are trying to kill the Lord of glory. Now, I want us to look, and these, these men, they, they want to skip the trial, and they, they want to, to be judge and jury and executioner. As I said, it says that they, the Jews picked up stones again, and it's not the first time. And that reminds us of, of if we look back at, at John chapter 5, verse 18. It says there that this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And then later in John chapter 8, he says this in verse 57 through 59, he says, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus there is claiming that, that he is God, and, and so it says, So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't yet his time. And now at the end of chapter 10, we have this third instance Again, where they're, where they're attempting to kill Jesus. And we know that it will not be the last because in the very next chapter, and this is, this is so crazy to me because in the very next chapter, what we see is, is Jesus raising Lazarus. He does really at this point probably his, his greatest miracle. And this is what it, it says of these re religious leaders. It says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Why? Because he's doing these amazing works and signs, and, and he's claiming to be one with the Father. And that brings us to our, our first point, the, the claim that, that Jesus pronounced. 
Now, when, when we look at something like, like road rage, there, there, there may be a reason behind that. There, there may be traffic or, or somebody's late or you know, somebody accidentally cuts somebody off or, or tailgating or, or speeding. But what was the reason that these, these religious leaders were so angry and upset? We see it again in, in verse 31. He says, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's the cause of, of their rage. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And when it was a claim that, that Jesus was making, that, that he was with one with his heavenly Father. And in every one of those occasions that, that we mentioned, that's what caused the rage, was this claim that, that Jesus was equal with God the Father. And, and we see this all through the Gospel of John. This is, this is something that John is, is, is showing us. He's, he declares himself, Jesus does, that he says, I am numerous times making himself equal with God or taking the name of God. And he makes this direct, these direct claims of deity. And every time he, he makes these claims, that he's confronted with, with their anger and their hostility and rejection. But the thing about Jesus he makes these claims because they are true, and he makes these claims so that people would believe in him, that they might have eternal life. So he continues to make these claims because, he, because Jesus knows that it is necessary for salvation to you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is God in the flesh. I mean, Jesus will say in John chapter 8, Verse 24, he says, For unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am God, you shall die in your sins. And so it's with love and mercy that Jesus wants to proclaim this, this truth. Now, and this claim brings about this rage. But notice that Jesus doesn't panic or turn away. Just think about this. All these men are around him and they pick up stones. And, and these are not little stones. I mean, if you're going to stone somebody, you're going to pick up something that has the ability to kill him. And it says that they picked up these stones, and they're going to stone Jesus with them. And Jesus doesn't run away. He, he, simply, he simply speaks to them. And you can just see this, that, that as he, they are getting ready to stone him, and he, he begins to speak, they, they simply probably drop their hands. And they begin to listen. And Jesus says in verse 32, he says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? When, when, when he says these good works, these good works have the idea of that, that which is excellent and noble and beautiful. And it's not just that they, they, were, they were morally good, but they were growing and expansively beautiful works that he had done. You know, Jesus, just imagine Jesus, I, I, have turned, I have turned water into wine. You know, I have healed the royal official's son. I have healed the paralytic. I have fed the 5,000. I have healed the man born blind from birth. Which one of these that I do do you want to kill me for? But the Jews answer and say to him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. The Jews understood 
the claim that Jesus was making. It's because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, it's because you are a, a blasphemer, Jesus. And that's the, the center of their, their claim. But Jesus says, and he does say this, he says, I and the Father are one. And if you look back just a, a few verses, which, which Jeff covered last week, what you see is that, that Jesus knows his sheep. And that he provides life for his sheep. And his, his sheep listen to his voice and they follow him. And his sheep are secure in his hands, and his sheep are secure in the Father's hands. In other words, he's telling us that he is saving his people, and he, he isn't acting in, in opposition to, to God the Father. No, he, he's acting in accord with, with God the Father. And so he presents his, his saving work in all its fullness, and it's in accord and accomplished with with his heavenly Father. And so this is what leads to the statement, I and the Father are one. But what exactly does Jesus mean? And, and there, is, there is some debate in this passage on, on what exactly Jesus means. And I, I've listed three, three things. One is the unity of will with God the Father. That Jesus had a unity of will with God the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus will say this. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, everything that Jesus did was in perfect accord with his Father's will. Everything. But there was a second part, and it's a, it's a unity of, of action with God the Father. And we see this in, in John chapter 5, verse 19, that reads this, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, Jesus' actions are the actions of the Father. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So there's a unity of, of will and there's a unity of action. And some would want to say, well, that's all that Jesus is talking about here. There are those like the Jehovah's Witnesses who, who just want to simply say that, yes, Jesus had the same will as his heavenly Father, or that he, they had the, he had the same actions, but, but it leads to nothing more than that. He, he's the highest of all the created beings. Or there's liberal theologians who, who want to say that Jesus is really just the best of humanity, that he's not anything more than a man. And so he has a, he, he has a desire to do whatever his father does and whatever his father says. And, but is that enough? Is that all that, that Jesus is declaring here? I don't think it stops there because when you, when you understand the, the gospel of John, what you see is in the context of the gospel of John is that Jesus is, is over and over being declared God the Son. From the very beginning of John chapter 1, verse 1, he is, he is God in the, in the flesh. And so we see that, and so that's the context of the gospel of John. So when, when you understand that, 
It's important to understand that we look at this through that context. In fact, D.A. Carson, in his commentary, says this. He says, It is important to remember that in the fourth gospel, Jesus is the unique Son. Others are children of God. Only He is the Son, the Revealer, the One who has come down from heaven, the Good Shepherd who gives His life for the sheep, the true vine, the light of the world, the Word made flesh. And, and listen to what he says. The reader, that's you and I, brings this sort of information to the interpretation of, of chapter 10, verse 30. And then he finishes with this, and ought to. <laughs> we don't just look at, at, at each, each individual verse without understanding the context. No, Jesus is has a unity of essence with God the Father. They are of the, the same nature. This means that when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he is saying that he, along with the Father, is fully God. So there's this unity of essence. And I think it's, it's important that we understand this, that when he says the word for one, or I and the Father are one, that, that word is in the neuter, not the masculine, so if it was in the masculine, it would be Jesus saying, I and the Father are one person. But he doesn't say that. He, he, he says it in the neuter, I and the Father one, meaning that they were of the same essence, not the same person. And we see that from the very beginning. Look back at John chapter 1. Look back at John chapter 1. At verse 1, this is what John writes. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, you see that, that he's a separate person from the Father, but he is one with the Father in his essence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look down at verse 18. John says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Jesus is the same essence who is at the Father's side, he's a different person, he has, has made him known. And then we see throughout this gospel, again, people and Jesus himself declaring that, that he is God. We read in, in John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. We read in John chapter 8, verse 58, that Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And so in each of these passages, John is emphasizing Jesus' uniqueness, that he is, is the one and only Son of God. And he is so distinct from any other human being. And he has a unique relationship to the Father, a, a, a relationship found only in God himself. I mean, these songs we were singing, that, that, that we worship a God in Trinity, that we believe in one God in three persons, that, that this relationship that Jesus had with his Father, this is the statement that Jesus could make, I and the Father are one. You know, it's a claim to deity. 
He was the very essence of God. And, and the, the writers of the epistles say the same thing. The writer of, of Hebrews says this in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He says, says this, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. And Paul will say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then we see it down in verse 38 of, of our passage. It says, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, there's a, a mutual indwelling of Father and Son. And so Jesus is making a, a claim to deity. And that is why the Jews believe that he is blaspheming. But it would only be blasphemy if it wasn't true. And it's interesting that they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, and, and Jesus doesn't come out and correct them. He doesn't say, wait, wait, wait. I never said I was God. No, he goes through some arguments to try to help them understand that it is good and right that they would acknowledge him as God. No, because Jesus is, is making a, a, a claim to deity, and it is crucial that we see this. No, he is one with the Father in will and, and action and, and essence. And the real question here is, is what Jesus said true? Do you believe this? That's what Jeff talked about last week. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you hold Jesus in a way that, that brings him glory and that you understand him for who he is? No, the real question is, what Jesus is saying true, and there's, is he one with the Father? And if he is one with the Father, if he is God in the flesh, then we ought to worship him. We ought to glorify him. So that is the, the claim that, that Jesus pronounces, that he and the, and the Father are one. But it leads to, to the defense that Jesus provided. The defense that Jesus provided. And he, and he really makes two defenses. One is a defense from Scripture, and we see that in verse 34 through 36. Look at verse 34 through 36. He says, and this is a quote from Psalm 82, verse 6. And he sa Jesus says this, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am not the Son of God? And this is, this is a difficult passage because he, he's calling men in this passage in Psalm 82 gods. And so in what sense are they gods? And what, he, what, he's, what he's, the psalmist is saying in Psalm 82 is that these judges, these wicked judges who are in power are not acting in their, in their position as judges, and they're being called gods because they're in the, the place of authority. And just listen to what, what Psalm 82 says. He says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. What he's saying is, look, I'm, I'm sitting here with the those who are judges in Israel, and, and they're not acting in a way, and he's not happy with this. And so he's, 
sitting with them in, in divine counsel. And he says, and, and God says this to these judges. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. This is what he quotes. He says, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Now, Psalm 82, the psalmist is, is, uh, is declaring judgment on the judges of Israel, and, and, and God is referring to them as gods, and that's because they were put in a place of judgment over the nation. But what the psalmist does is he, he declares that, that, that they are not judging rightly. And, and so what Jesus is doing is, is he is comparing himself to these wicked judges. And he's saying, look, if they can be called gods in the little g sense, you know, how much more can I be called God? Because I am. I like what James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says about this. He says, The judges in this psalm are called gods not because they are divine, because they act as God and the role as judges. They are consecrated for a special task, indeed a holy task. And in God's name, they exercise authority and power. Now, says Jesus, I too have been sent into the world by God the Father, and that for a specific task. In that task, I exercise authority and power, just as the judges of Israel did. If the word of God can be used of mere men because of their function, if judges can be called gods, then how much more should I be called God in the full sense? Since I have received a unique commissioning and exercise unique power. In other words, Jesus was not denying that he is God in the unique, in the unique sense, far from it. He was only denying that he had spoken words that were improper. The words are proper enough. If spoken merely in relation to a man, how much more appropriate are they of Jesus then, who is more than man? I love that. He, he lays it out so clearly that, that Jesus can, can look to the Scriptures and, and he can make this this point that if these wicked judges can be called God, then certainly I can be called God, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world. So the first defense is, is from the Scriptures, of which he says in verse 35 that the Scripture cannot be broken. This word broken means loosed or, or released or, or removed or dismantled or, or nullified. And this is Jesus' view of Scripture. Jesus fully accepts the authority and the inerrancy of, of the Scriptures. And John MacArthur says this, he says, This passage is Christ's view of Scripture, that it is a seamless chain, and not one link can be pulled out, not one. And it reminds me of, of 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is empowered 
by God and pro- is, is, I'm sorry. <laughs> All scripture is inspired by God <laughs> and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. So we, we look to the scriptures and Jesus looks to the scriptures for his own defense. And how many in our day would, would want to say of the Old Testament that it is, is, is full of errors, that, that it has errors of history and errors of science? No, and Jesus says this Old Testament is complete. And, and we have to understand that the Bible is unlike any other book in the world. No, the, the scriptures are inspired. They are inerrant. They are infallible. And Jesus says the scriptures cannot be broken. So that's the first defense that Jesus makes. It's from the scriptures. But the second defense he makes is from his works. And we see that in verse 37 through 38. Verse 37, Jesus says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. You know, Jesus is saying, look at, Look at my works. Look at my miracles. Jesus appeals to his miracles to, to validate his mission. You know, over and over again in the Gospels, we read about Jesus healing the sick, that he, he's casting out demons. He's stilling the waves with a, with a simple word. He's, he's walking on water. He's, he's turning water into wine. He's raising the dead. And we could go on and on. And, and these miracles... In these miracles, Jesus shows that he has the power over sickness. He shows his power over death. He shows his power over nature. He shows his power over Satan. And in all of these, he shows his love and his compassion. And that, that's one of the things that I find troubling about the religious leaders. Is, is they obviously don't believe in Jesus, but, but don't they see that the, these miracles are Jesus' love and compassion Remember what Jesus says? He, he said he looked upon them and they, they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And so that he had compassion on them. But these re- religious leaders, they, they simply reject who Jesus is and what he has said. But nobody, nobody can do- deny what, what Jesus did. Nobody can deny the works because there were, there were witnesses. In fact, earlier in, in chapter 9, the healing of the man blind, they said they did not believe, but they interviewed him and his parents, and they came back to the conclusion that, yes, he did this miracle. Even one of their own, Nicodemus, who we believe would become a believer later, earlier in John chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, these, these miracles prove who, who Jesus was and that he was the incarnate Son of God, that he was God in the flesh, and it's proved by his works. If you, it's basically like Jesus is saying, if you want to know that I'm not a blasphemer, look at what I do, look at my works. What he's doing is he's He's calling them to believe. Believe the work so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is so important for us that to help us in, in our assurance 
That we, would, we would also look to the works and, and remember all the things that, that Jesus did. Because all the things that, that Jesus did in, in, in performing miracles and, and from raising the dead and, and then ultimately raising himself from the dead brings us assurance that, that what he said was true. And we hold on to those things. So everything that Jesus did validates everything that Jesus said. And there's this, this uniqueness of Jesus. That when you compare him to every other religious leader, whether it be ancient religious leader or, or new religious leader today, none of them have the works that Jesus did. Nobody did what Jesus did. Nobody taught like Jesus did. Nobody spoke like Jesus did. And nobody was sacrificed for sins like Jesus was. In him, it's him who we believe. And his miracles affirm that belief. And so he says to these religious leaders, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. That there's this unity with, with he and the Father But lastly, that brings us to the responses that Jesus prompted. Because there's always always two responses, isn't there? And there's two responses today. There's a response of unbelief or or a response of belief. You know, when we see these these two different responses, the first one is a response of unbelief, and we see this in verse 39. Jesus has said these words, and this is how... The religious leaders respond. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. I mean, this is tragic, isn't it? Jesus has declared the truth of the gospel to these religious leaders, these who were entrusted with the word of God, and yet they can't see plainly who Jesus is. No, but rather they would hold on to their sin. Rather they would hold on to their their positions and their lifestyles and and their priorities. They they accuse Jesus of of blasphemy, but they, they don't even take the time to ask, could it be true of what Jesus is saying here? I mean, we know that some did. We know that some believed, but, but the majority just rejected him. But isn't that true of so many people today who, who are just simply living in, in unbelief? You know, I remember a friend, and I think I probably mentioned uh, him before, a, a friend some 30 years ago when I had become a Christian, and, and talking to him and, and, and explaining to him the gospel and wanting him to come to faith and, and, and showing him the things that Jesus had done. And afterwards, he said, I believe that those things are true but I don't want to follow him now. Why is that? It's because he loved his sin. It comes down to that. Why do people not believe? Because they love their sin. In fact, back in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, listen to what John says. He says, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light 
lest his works should be exposed. Now, why don't people believe the works that Jesus did? Did it have to be that, did, did, did Jesus have to do more miracles? Did Jesus have to love more than he did? No. no these Jewish leaders are a sad example of unbelief, and they don't take seriously the claims of, of Jesus Christ. And but let, us, let that encourage us. Let that encourage us to take the claims of, of Jesus Christ seriously. You know, that what he said about himself was true, that he is the Messiah. And you know, there's only two options, either continue in disbelief or, or believe and, and follow him. Again, verse 39 says, and again, they, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And we know that that's, this is not the first time that he had escaped from them. We know that the reason that he escaped from them is that it, his time had not yet come. But I think what, what this shows is even though these religious leaders might not believe in him, it shows that they can't control him. Now, Jesus is going to lay down his life for his people in his time. You know, people will sometimes think that Jesus Christ is just a simple vic helpless victim or a, a martyr, uh, but that's not the case. Jesus Christ came to die for your sins and my sins. And he came to die for our sins, but, but it was on his timing. Rather, when you look back at this passage, Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem in just a few months. And at the appointed time, he's going to, to lay down his life for his people. And no matter how much they rage against him, ultimately, they can never have victory over Jesus Christ. So that's the first response. It's, it's a response of unbelief. But, but we read in verse 40 through 42 a second response. And it's a response of belief. And it says in verse 40, he, he, went away, he, he went away again across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him. You know, there's not only those who reject Christ. I'm thankful that there are those who receive the truth about Christ. And we know ultimately that's because of the work of God in our lives to change our hearts, to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. But, but this place where Jesus goes is, is where John began his ministry. And it's really where Jesus will, will finish his, his public ministry before he comes into Jerusalem. And it says this, that many, many believed in him there. Many believed in them, him there. And it takes us back to the very beginning in the, in the program, pro, prologue of, of John's gospel, where it says in verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. No, he came to his own, and, and his own, did, own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All of us, every one of us, can come to him 
who can call on His name and believe in His name, and He has given you the right to become the children of God. But it also takes us back to John's testimony, doesn't it? Because it says here that everything that, that John said about this man was true. And what did John say? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 23, John says this, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, John was calling people to repentance. He was preparing them for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also takes us back to John's testimony of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 26, where John says this. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. You know, John understood that, that Jesus was, was greater, that, that he was before him, that Jesus must increase and John must decrease. John's purpose was to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. It also takes us back to John's testimony of Jesus in, in chapter 1, verse 28, where, where John declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God, that He lived a sinless life, and that He died the perfect death that we might have life. And that brings us to, to, back to our response. So what is your response to Jesus? What is your response to Jesus? Do you believe? Or are you in a state of unbelief? If you if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to follow him and trust him and repent and, and seek after him. So the question is, do you believe that he is a blasphemer or do you believe that he is the blessed Savior? And if you believe that he is the blessed Savior, then trust him and follow him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son and your word because your word cannot be broken. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church, Lord, that, that we would see Jesus more and more for who he is, that, that he is one with his father. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our, our understanding of who he was, that we would grow in the grace of and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for those in our midst that, that have not put their faith and trust in you, that they would believe. In Jesus' name, amen.